This is the Elevate Student Ministry Podcast. Hi, I'm Pastor Dominic. Welcome to the Elevate Podcast. I'm crazy grateful for all of you who subscribe, share, and leave reviews. If this is your first time, welcome to the Elevate community. Like our home church, Living Word, I and the Elevate leaders work as hard as we can to build an atmosphere of love to exalt Christ, make disciples, and equip the saints. It would mean the world to us if you helped us get the word out by sharing this episode on social media. If you'd like to learn more about Elevate, visit us at iloveelevate.com. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram and subscribe to the podcast. Thank you for everything you do, which brings faith, hope, and love to the world around you. A fellow in Long Beach went into a fried chicken franchise, that's a tongue twister, to get some chicken for himself and the young lady he was with. She waited in the car while he went in to pick up the chicken. Inadvertently, the manager of the store handed the guy the box in which he had placed the financial proceeds of the day instead of the box of chicken. You see, he was going to make a deposit and had camouflaged it by putting the money into a chicken box. The fellow took the box, went back to the car, and the two of them drove away. When they got to the park and opened the box, they discovered they had a box full of money. Now that this is a very vulnerable moment to the average individual. However, realizing the mistake, he got back in his car and returned to the place and gave the money back to the manager. Well, the manager was elated. He was so pleased that he told the young man, stick around. I want to call the newspaper and have them take your picture. You're the most honest guy in town. Whoa, no, don't do that, said the fellow. Why not, asked the manager. Well, he said, you see... I'm married, and the woman that I'm with is not my wife. That was posted in the Dallas Times Herald back in 1966. What a crazy story. It's amazing. Our character has a tendency to change over our lifetime. But what's even wilder is that our our character can change back and forth in the same day, depending on the circumstances we're in and the people we're around. I don't know about you, but on my very best days, I'm simply inconsistent, and on my worst days, I'm wildly self-contradicting. Maybe you can relate. Maybe you feel like you can be inconsistent sometimes. We're doing this, this series through the fruit of the Spirit, and one of the fruits of the Spirit is faithfulness. Let's take a look at Galatians 5.22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Walking arm in arm, step in step. Notice these are not the works of a Christian. These are the fruit of the Spirit. They are the overflow from what happens when we walk with the Holy Spirit. I love what John 15 says. Abide in me and I in you. In me and I in you. As the branch can't bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he or she that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. We can only bear the fruit of the tree that we are on. Don't miss this. It's anchored in that pursuit of relationship. 
I in him and he in me. It's this arm in arm. We're walking with Jesus. So tonight is not about pursuing loyalty. That's what the rest of the world is doing. Tonight, we're asking the question, what does a believer look like who pursues Jesus? That believer is faithful. 2 Timothy 2.13, we're going to keep coming back to this verse over and over again. If we are faithless, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. If you were to define faithfulness, I think the best definition you could find is from author Robert H. Thune, and he says this, It is consistency in who a person is and what they can be counted on to do. Consistency in who they are, their character, and what they can be counted on to do. Trustworthiness, honesty, integrous, loyal, true to one's word. These are all great synonyms and description words for what it means to be faithful. If faithfulness is not a human trait, but exclusively a trait of God, then the only way that we can understand faithfulness is to understand God's faithfulness. And the only way we can understand God's faithfulness is if we take a look at covenant and understand what it means to be in covenant. The act of forming a covenant goes back into almost every ancient culture on earth. It is usually between two parties, a superior and an inferior, a king, a vassal, a master, a slave. And that covenant is struck, and it has five different elements. And we'll go through those really quickly. The first one is the preamble or the introduction. That is where the great king, the superior, is introduced with all of his titles and his attributes. Consider, it might be like this. I, King Lalala... The holy and wonderful and awesome who have defeated the enemies of the north and built this great justice system enter into such contract. And then after he has introduced himself, it would go into the historical prologue. And this details the history between that great superior and the inferior, usually talking about the the very benevolent way that the king has handled the vassal's life. It might say something like, I have always taken care of thine family throughout the ages, thy father and thy father's father, and we've always been, you know, in unity and blah, blah, blah. And then come the third is the stipulations. This is where the rubber meets the road. This is what the superior agrees to do and what the inferior agrees to do. This might look like, I, the king, shall give thee such and such ground of land and access to our water source, and you will be paying the kingdom 15% of everything that you grow on it. See, it makes sense. There is agreements on both sides of the covenant. Finally, there is, number four, a list of witnesses, which would include usually other rulers and the deities of that nation. It may, may say something like, you know, um, and here witnessing this is the Duke of yada yada and the royal princes. And then we look to the divine deities that are smiling down on us. Though that holy, wonderful deity, the great nose God, may his wind pl- blow favorably in our direction. And then the fifth element of the covenant would be the curses and the blessings. This would look like if both sides hold up their agreement, then there would be blessings. If thee, thy vassal, mine vassal, 
continues to give in the 15% to the kingdom, then should the great bad guys ever invade, I will give the protection and you will... Good stuff. And then it would also include the curses. If that covenant is broken, then there would be curses. If they do not pay me such 15%, your family will be imprisoned until the debt is paid. And so this covenant is entered into with witnesses, and then attached to it are blessings and cursings, whether that covenant is upheld or broken. And that covenant would be sealed with blood. And I love this. This is so beautiful because this is so accessible, mirroring what we see in the Bible over and over again. The way that they would seal the covenant is that they would kill the covenantal animal. And they would cut that animal in half, and half of the animal would be burned on the altar to the deities. And the other half of that animal would serve as a covenant feast for the superior and inferior to eat together in partnership and harmony. And we see that happening throughout the Bible. Consider the Paschal Lamb of the Exodus where they have a covenant with God and they, they sacrifice this lamb. Think about how Jesus gives his body and blood as our lamb of sacrifice on the cross and also says, this is my body and blood, take this and eat this. It's a covenantal meal that Jesus is portraying. God establishes five covenants with men throughout time in the Old Testament. The first was with Adam and Eve. And I'm going to have to go through these very quickly. If you want to get more, there's so much more depth here, but we can't get into it. You're going to have to check out, go back to the series, The Son of Righteousness, week number 14, Jesus is the Passover Lamb. It's full of great stuff. But for tonight, I'm going to skim through. The first one is with Adam and Eve, and God commits to give life and relationship. And that covenant was broken by Adam and Eve, and they moved from under the blessing of Genesis 1.18, or 28.1.28, and they moved under the curse, which is death. And so when the covenant is broken, they shifted the side that they were under. The second is with Noah. God commits to never destroy all of mankind again. With Abraham, God commits to bless all nations through Abraham, and along with that was to make Abraham a great nation and give him special land. With Moses and the children of Israel at Sinai, God commits that he will purify his people of sin, And with David, he commits to set up an an eternal kingdom ruled by the Son of Man. God loves his creation. But you have to understand that God is not obligated to be faithful to his creation anywhere. It's not written anywhere. It is out of his love that God makes a covenant with creation, with his people, with mankind, that he is faithful to. God is the potter. We're the clay. If God is the potter, just wants to go, oh. That's God. He has the right. He is a just, all-powerful, creating God. And so his, his faithfulness is not to creation. His faithfulness is with his covenant with creation. Because what does it say? When we are unfaithful, he is faithful because he cannot deny himself. How inexplicable is such a love that he would bind himself to be faithful to us? Deuteronomy 7, 6 through 9, the children of Israel are at Sinai, and God is talking about this covenant, and it's so beautiful. Listen for, the, for, listen for the love. Listen for the covenantal language. For you are a people holy, set apart to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, 
It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord has set his love and chose you. For you were the fewest of people. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers. That the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh the king. Know, therefore, the Lord your God is God, the faithful God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. Do you hear that love? You hear that covenantal language of, of keeping his commandments, of being chosen for blessing? How beautiful is that? And then Hebrews picks up this same theme, Hebrews 6, 13 through 20, which is fast becoming one of my favorite verses. Listen to this. When God made his promise with Abraham, that was covenant number three, and all three of those represent a, a fuller covenant. Since there was no one greater for him, for God to swear by, he swore by himself. See, in those times, it was popular that if someone was going to make a promise, they would swear by something greater than themselves. They'd swear on the temple or that mountain. And, and basically the idea was, as long as that mountain stands, my promise will not be broken. What is God going to swear by? There's nothing greater than him. So he swore by himself saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. Let's keep going. People swear by someone greater than themselves, and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled, those of us who have sinned, rebelled, run from God, those we who have fled can take hold of the hope set before us and be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner, Jesus, has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever. Verses 13 and 14 are discussing that, that covenant with Abraham. But I, don't miss this. It talks about two unchanging things about God. They are found in verses 17 and 18. God's unchanging nature, his character. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the second one is his inability to lie. To be untrue to his own word will be a contradiction to his unchanging nature. That is who our God is. He is absolutely truthful. His character doesn't change, and he is truthful. Isn't that the very definition of faithfulness that we talked about? Who someone is and what they can be depended on to do. God's character and God's honesty. So whenever we talk about that hope as an anchor for our soul, think about this. Let's, let's rewind a little bit. We have this hope this hope in God's faithfulness, his unchanging nature. We, that is an anchor for our soul, firm and secure. So what is our hope in? Our hope is in the one thing that can never be moved. It enters. What enters? God's faithfulness. Our hope in God's faithfulness enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. What's that talking about? That's talking about the temple, that back in the day they had this temple, and you could go in layers and layers and layers, but there is this one room in the very middle of the temple, in the furthest back, 
that was considered the place of God's unhindered, unwatered down presence. It was where God's presence touched earth. And only one man, one time a year, after a whole bunch of cleansing rituals, could enter into God's presence. And what is he saying here? He's saying that our hope in God's enduring faithfulness, through that, we can enter into God's presence. Where the forerunner, Jesus, has entered on our behalf. He has become the high priest forever. Our hope is in his faithfulness. It's that anchor. Consider that. God is welcoming us to come into relationship, into his presence. And the climax of God's faithfulness, the fulfillment of God's unchanging love and commitment to his covenant is Jesus Christ, the one who is our forerunner who goes in on our behalf. Look how Jesus Christ fulfills every one of those five covenants. Take a look at this. Adam and Eve, God gives life and restores relationship. Jesus did that on the cross. Through Noah, God committed to never wipe out all of mankind again. He won't because Jesus, through his death, saves a remnant for God. Jesus fulfills it at the cross. Abraham, God blesses all nations, not just Jews. Jesus fulfilled it at the cross. Moses, God commits to purify his people from sin. Jesus does it at the cross. David, God establishes an eternal king over an eternal kingdom. Jesus establishes it at the cross. And fulfilling all these promises, 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 for all of these promises, God defeats sin once and for all. And referring back to Jeremiah 31, where Jeremiah foretold a sixth covenant. Let's take a look at Jesus. Hebrews 10, 15 through 23. You ready for this? And the Holy Spirit also bears witness, covenantal language, covenant witness to us. For after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. He's talking about this coming sixth covenant that the son of man, this Messiah figure is going to fulfill. I will put my laws in their hearts and write them on their minds as in not written in words, as in this won't be scribal. This will be God's influence in the people that he is speaking to. And then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. You don't have to kill animals anymore for forgiveness. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that that holy of holies, we are allowed to go into God's unhindered presence. Let us draw near with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, an evil conscience, unfaithfulness, sprinkled clean from unfaithfulness, and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope. What is our hope in? God's faithfulness, without wavering, for he who promised is faithful, is consistent in character, and bound to truth. Jesus' blood sacrifice is that game changer. So what happens to those who draw near with a pure heart? What is this saying? Three things happen. One, they are washed from sin, forgiven. Yes. Two, they are given access to his presence, relationship. And three, his laws, his character is now written on their hearts. We are influenced by our relationship with him to be more like him. In short, he rubs off on us. 
Why? 2 Timothy 2.13. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Look what Paul says about God's inexplicable, inexplicable loving faithfulness. Romans 5, 3 through 8. We read this a couple weeks ago, but we're going to read further. We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces patience, and patience produces character, and character produces hope. Hope in what? The faithfulness of God. We are able to rejoice in our sufferings because of our hope in God's faithfulness, because he will never fail us. And hope does not disappoint, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one would scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one might dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What a commitment. What a love. What faithfulness. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. Can we even grasp how gracious and good God is? Consider for a minute how we feel like God putting the tree in the Garden of Eden was unfair. Like God set us up for failure. That tree, first of all, represents the opportunity for us to love. Because what does love say? Love is, I choose you, and I set myself apart from everything else for you. That's love. And so we could not love God. We would be robots. We could not love God unless we had some way of choosing him over ourselves and everything else. That is love. And so the tree creates opportunity for love. But don't miss this because our God is faithful. And it says that he had this plan of salvation since before the foundations of the earth. God's commitment, his burden was greater than what we understand because the moment that God as creator, planted that tree, he was committing to die on a cross as a sacrifice. The Bible says that it pleased him to crush his son. That commitment was made as soon as he planted the tree. What a love that our God would desire and pursue and love us so much that he would plant a tree. I always thought it was strange that Paul says that Jesus died on a tree. It's a hearkening back. It's it's throwing back to that Genesis image. God's love is so great that his commitment was since the beginning. Since Adam and Eve's sin, mankind has consistently broken that covenant. We have consistently been unfaithful. I'm going to need a volunteer. Hmm, Noah. Noah has been here faithfully every week. He's working hard behind the scenes to make sure that this all goes well, and he is the perfect volunteer for this. Noah, this is a single sheet of paper. How heavy do you think this paper is? I want to make sure you're all the way in. Two ounces. Two ounces, yeah. I, I don't know how heavy paper is. Maybe one of you can Google it and put it in the messages in the comment section. All right, Noah, I would like you to take this very lightweight piece of paper and hold it straight out perpendicular, just like this. Hold it straight out. And you can face the camera. There you go. And I'm just going to I'm just going to keep talking in front of you. And uh you thanks. 
despite our disloyalty. It's crazy that God continues to be faithful. And instead of leaving us under the curses, it is God that pursues us. It is God that makes a way for us to come back to him. Faithfulness is who he is. He is faithfulness. Revelation 19.11, John is seeing this vision of Jesus returning, and he says this, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called faithful and true. God's proper name that he defines himself is faithful. He is consistent in character and true to his word. But what about a believer? How do we become faithful? Faithfulness also has a second definition. You ready for this? Deep, profound definition. Give me a drum roll. At home. On your phone. Faithfulness also means full of faith. Uh Uh-huh. Put that on a coffee mug. Full of faith. What is faith? According to Paul and James, faith is taking action based on trusting God. I love how the author Hebrews unpacks it. In Hebrews 11, he writes this, Faith is the evidence of things hoped for. What is our hope in? The faithfulness of God. It is the evidence of the faithfulness of God, the conviction of things not seen. What do we hope in? We hope in God's faithfulness, his unchanging character, his dedication to his word. And then the author makes a list of historical heroes and shows how every one of them took action, went to extreme lengths because they trusted God's word. What is faith? It's taking action, trusting in the faithfulness of an unseen God. That's faith. Followers of Jesus are people of faith. They are faith, action, full. We don't pursue faithfulness. We don't pursue loyalty. We don't pursue integrity or even honesty. We pursue Jesus and his unchanging nature will begin to flow through us and become reflections of him. If he is consistent in character and he is rubbing off on us, then it makes us consistent in character. In short, he rubs off on us. This is why a Jesus follower will give to help somebody when they don't have much themselves. This is why a Jesus follower will get out of their comfort zones. This is why a Jesus follower will go and love someone who is hard and impossible to love. Because a Jesus follower trusts in the faithfulness of God and takes action based on it. How you doing, Noah? You don't know? Getting a little heavy? Yeah? Like, consider this. If I did this, would your arm get any lighter? Would that make it easier on you? But I'm holding up the weight. I'm holding up the weight. You see, Noah's battle is not with the weight of the paper. It's the weight of his own arm. His own flesh is pulling him down. His own flesh is difficult to fight against. And a believer who walks with Jesus, a believer who trusts in the faithfulness of Christ, walks with, put your arm back up, walks with a Jesus who does this. And it's his strength that we lean on. It's his faithfulness that we can depend on. And whenever we walk in his presence, when we walk with him, he carries the weight of our flesh. It is him that we can lean on and turn to, and it is his faithfulness that keeps us 
up. Thank you, Noah. You're awesome. Go wash your hands because of COVID. Love you. Thank you. There's a story of a young Christian in a Southern University playing football. You know, where one of those Southern Universities where football is everything, right? He made the football team as the starting split end, and he continually, this is a Christian young man, here it is, word for word, he continually was before God saying, help me in the climax of moments to be absolutely honest. I pray for honesty, that one mark of integrity. The rival team came that night, and it was homecoming. He ran his route. He went into the end zone. The quarterback shot him the ball, and he caught it low. He landed on it, and the referee shouted, touchdown! And the stands went absolutely crazy. But the boy knew he had trapped the ball. He had landed on it while it was on the ground, and it only looked like he had caught it. The stands were cheering, going crazy, because he was the hero of the game. But he said, wait a minute. Can you imagine this? He walks over to the referee, shakes his head, and says, I trapped it. The referee canceled the touchdown, and his team lost the game. Now, you may not understand a lot about football, but you may know what it means to be a fan. That boy stood alone. Not just against a team that's saying, hey, it's fine, what does it really matter? Take the touchdown. But he also had a stand's worth of enemies that were angry about his honesty. He tells the referee, I can't take credit. I did not catch it. That's integrity. That's being consistent. That's being faithful to something greater than self. Sometimes integrity walks alone. Sometimes faithfulness is difficult. Jesus tells a story of a master who was leaving town and he had three servants and he left different amounts of money with each servant. And two of those took action, trusting that their master was going to return. And one of them chose inaction. May we be followers of Christ that are followers in more than just words. May we be people of faithfulness who are walking with the Holy Spirit, who are loving like Christ because it is, it is Him who is faithful through us. May we trust that God is who He says He is and He's going to do what He says He's going to do. Listen to the language of the Master to those two faithful servants. Matthew 25, 21. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy. What did we define joy as? We define joy as the sole satisfaction of being in the presence of Jesus. Enter into the joy of your master. Enter into my presence. Enter into the holy of holies. Enter into relationship with me. Enter into the joy of your master. We don't pursue faithfulness. We pursue Jesus Christ. 
And when we pursue him, he rubs off on us. And he is, he is faithfulness. He is faithfulness himself. And when he is in us, it rubs off us and it comes out through our words and our actions and our eyes and our fingertips. That's what a believer looks like. Faithful. Every week I want to challenge you with three ways to spend time with Jesus. I hope you're spending time with Jesus every day that you are saturating yourself, marinating in his Holy Spirit. But I want to give you three challenges for the week and I I challenge you to take one of them and and post it down in the comments which one you're going to take on. The first one is this. And it's so simple. It's a posture change. I remember Miko at several camps ago, he talked about different postures that we worship. We lift our hands, we sing with our mouths, and we bow before him. And maybe bowing is different for you. Maybe you've never done that before. But maybe sometime when it's quiet, maybe when you're alone, I challenge you to get into the posture of humility, get into the posture of complete worship, that you bow before him. The second one that I challenge you to do is to read scripture aloud. Take Psalms and turn them into prayers. Speak them out loud. Let your own ears. Don't forget, your ears are the first that hears your voice. Read scripture out loud for yourself to hear. Stand up. Enunciate the words. Grasp a hold of the value and the meaning of the words that you're listening to yourself say. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you audibly as you read his own words to yourself. And third, this might be the most uncomfortable. I dare you to take this one on. Spend time with Jesus by writing a song to him. Put yourself in David's sandals and you don't ever have to sing it to anybody or anything, but just between you and God, write yourself a song of worship to him. Include in it how you're feeling. It doesn't have to be all good feelings. Look at David's psalms. They're not all like peachy keen flowers and roses. Write a psalm. Write a song to Jesus. I love you, Elevate. It's a pleasure to speak God's word. If you need these notes, you can get on iloveelevate.com, click on the podcast page, and you can download these notes, and you can go through them if you got lost anywhere. This is beautiful content because it is is recapturing the beauty of who God's character is, and he is faithful. I love studying the nature of God. Heavenly Father, be with your people today. Let us walk and grow and struggle and and achieve in your presence. Lord, let us walk hand in hand. You go before us, you are our rear guard, and you hold us by our right hand. Oh, Holy Father, let us be a people that daily go into the Holy of Holies. By the grace of Jesus and the blood he shed for us, let us be a people that go into the Holy of Holies, that take hold of the gift that you gave us to be in your presence, to know you, to have a relationship with you. Lord, I pray that elevate, that Living Word Church is a body of Christ that is plugged in to your vine, growing the fruit of the Holy Spirit. I love you, Jesus. I love you. Hallelujah to you, Jesus. Lord, let us carry you and walk with you everywhere we go. In Jesus' holy and precious, wonderful and glorious name, amen and amen. I love you, Elevate. Don't forget to like and share. Get it out to everyone any way that you can. Have a great night, and I'll see you next week. Stay tuned to Instagram. There's lots of stuff going on. Love you, Elevate. Thank you for listening. 
Episodes are recorded every Wednesday at Elevate Student Ministry. All students, 7th through 12th grades, are welcome.